Welcome to the Wicked Wallflowers Club. I'm Jenny Nordback. And I'm Sarah Hawley. And this week's interview is with author Angelina M. Lopez. We talk about her book, Lush Money, her series of upcoming novels about self-made women, and the business and future of publishing. Without further ado, here is our interview with Angelina M. Lopez. I'm thrilled to be sitting here with Angelina M. Lopez today. Thank you for sitting down with me. And I'm thrilled to be here. This feels crazy. I was on the other side just listening forever and ever. And to be on the side of the microphone is crazy. I've been so (laughs) excited to do this interview for that reason, because you were like one of our earliest supporters back when we were like, is anybody listening? (laughs) Like my mom was, no, she, I can't even say my mom was listening because she doesn't know how to work podcasts. (laughs) So like four people were listening to us those first couple of episodes and you got on like Twitter or somewhere and you were like, ah, it was Twitter. A person, a person who is not related to us is listening. It was so astonishing. I've, been a long a romance fan my entire life started reading in sixth grade and definitely was you know I was a literate little kid who did not um you know I was a secret romance reader and very had this very highbrow sense of myself and finally it was in my early 20s that I was like this is this genre that is incredibly empowering to women and I mean and I decided to no longer any kind of shame I had. I decided to be very open about it, talk about it very openly. It's when I started writing and it was something I really embraced, but it wasn't the community. Some of the mm. first published authors I met in 2000 were talking about how they didn't tell people what they did. And this was, you know, a couple of people, but it was so striking to me that this thing I was so proud of and this thing I was so in love with that there were people who were doing it again two women does not define a whole genre of no people. but it is common. but it was shocking and and when I listened to your podcast it was really one of those f- first real world um understanding that this genre is obviously the books were but the people talking about it in this um and with this analysis and the sense of where it comes from in a feminist point of view and with the Me Too movement. You guys doing that in a public space was one of the first times I'd really seen that happening. Sarah McLean was already writing her column. There were, it was happening, but for whatever reason, it's when I clued in that right. there was this larger momentum with romance and, and em- embracing it as this um, thing that had a lot of positive power. And so for me, it was this that public display of that, of what I felt hearing it through my podcast you know yeah earphones was awesome yeah. it was really awesome so of course, yeah I got on Twitter like I mean we were nowhere near the first to be having these conversations right no like, no but but it was there weren't I mean there was like smart bitches and heaving bosoms started a couple weeks before we did yeah and, you know like it it and like people have been having these conversations but I do know what you mean where like even if they've been happening you haven't necessarily stumbled upon them. Exactly. So when you stumble upon that first one, whatever it is, it feels really revolutionary. Very. Oh my God, I'm not alone. It's very revolutionary. There's been something I've been listening. I put this on Twitter again too, but I'd been been binging Faded Mates for the last two weeks because I would listen to them, but I've missed some and was just binging it. There was something intensely comforting recently just with a lot the the politics and all the crap um and being and and being <laughs> being a woman of color you know yeah. being a woman period yeah. being a woman of color <laughs> period you know just the misogyny and the racism for whatever reason i found a certain comfort in faded mates i mean first of all it's these two women essentially like you feel like you're at a cocktail party with them hanging out talking about your books giggling over sex scenes then talking about like social issues and how they're displayed in these books. But it, the, it but what I just kept coming back to how comforting it was yeah. to be surrounded by, you know, audibly surrounded by these smart women who are funny and who are loving, creating a community about something I love. Yeah. It felt like a wall against that misogyny and racism. Yeah. It's like a comforting Yeah, blanket. it's a safe little <laughs> nest right now where like you know you can turn to your romance community. Well, we have our issues, but... 100%. It's in... We're like... There are safe spaces. There are immensely safe spaces. you know you're not going to confront a lot of that those issues 
in a negative way in a, a space like Faded Mates. So and it's awesome. Every industry has its every industry has its downfalls. Every industry has its ugliness. Every industry has its negatives. But in mass, I still believe that this romance community is just better than the average one. I still do. I've well, been we're fighting doing for it. it. Exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. I still believe that the, in mass, there's a group of people who are legitimately supportive of each other in a way you don't find in, in just, yeah. just think of an industry as a whole businesses. You don't find it the way you find it in the romance writing so, community. We've, I, I'm excited to meet you and to have you on and you were one of our earliest fans and you know, like we've covered that. But the reason that we're super duper excited <laughs> is that your publishing journey has now reached the stage of publication. Yeah. Um, you are like officially an author. Yep. Um, and your debut is called Lush Money. That's right. And it has one of my favorite covers of the year. <laughs> because it's I haven't even gotten to read it yet and it's this like I already know I'm going to love the heroine from the cover because she is like powerful yeah um tell us about like what is the the premise of Lush Money so Lush Money is about a self-made billionaire businesswoman she's Latinx which like fuck yes (laughs) let's just pause and say that (laughs) a lot of times I've never gotten past that like people like enough yeah give it to my money But keep going. <laughs> so it's a self-made billionaire businesswoman, Latinx, who makes a deal with a modern-day Spanish prince. He's a viticulturist, a vine scientist. So he grows wine grapes. Your face is so awesome. <laughs> I really wish I need to record it because, like, um, yeah. <laughs> makes a deal with a modern-day Spanish prince. And the, the deal is she wants a marriage of convenience and sex three nights a month for a year and in return, at the end of the year, she'll give, give him enough money to save his impoverished wine-growing kingdom. It's high up in the Spanish mountains. What she really wants is a royal baby with no emotional entanglements. She wants a royal, she wants this fairy tale. But- Which we see, I feel like that's the kind of arrangement billionaire men have with like exactly. their trophy wives. I want sex three nights a week and this is... She's doing it because she wants a baby. Wants and- a ba- I want to. Ro- I want. I want to complete the fairy tale. I want the royal baby. He doesn't want anything to do with this, but he also does. He does need money for his kingdom. He does need this influx. It will make things a lot easier. The push pull is, you know, her feeling like we have this contract. It's very clean cut. There's no reason not to do this. Um, I get what I want. You get what you want. He doesn't want to have a baby with a stranger doesn't want to feel like he's selling a baby to a stranger imagine why not that's not weird at all (laughs) her is her she is fighting emotional intimacy she's resisting emotional intimacy and he is pushing insisting on emotional intimacy Hmm. that's the whole push-pull of the book um and it, it the way i wrote the book is each chapter you're jetting into January, night one, night two, night three. February, night one, night two, night three. And how this relationship develops with this push-pull against intimacy, emotional intimacy. So it's three nights a month? Three nights a month. Okay. Yeah. Like when she's ovulating, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) Which I got very specific about that. My editor was like, pregnancy doesn't just work like that. I thought, you're right. And it was an interesting how you kind of – manipulate reality for romance yeah. but it that's what you have to do so yes yeah ovulation is just not your but you know as a billionaire the the conceit is that she's just fine finally attuned to what's happening with her body Which, with a billion dollars you can do that it's fine it's fine it's <laughs> so mostly yeah. how it works yeah exactly yeah. It's, that's how it works but I like that as like a story structure yeah. so and that's the only time they're seeing each other is those three nights those three nights it, initially and then yeah but that is so interesting because you've got like gaps where they're thinking about it and And for her that's the clear cut she doesn't want to see him and even really those three nights a month she's not really intending to uh interact with him very much other than (laughs) the interacting (laughs) she's not expecting to uh that's that's what she wants it she and you know she comes from a moral place her Billionaire business is built on investing or restructuring women-owned businesses. So morally, she comes from the place that I'm a good person. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smart and I am wealthy and this deal makes sense. It, it makes sense in this very clear cut way to her. And she comes into it not with just throwing her weight around, but you know, you need this. I need this. Yeah. This makes sense. And I, and she, and she inherently feels like she comes from a good kind of morally is coming from a good place, but you know, he's looking at it as all of us are, which is, and the intention is to, to share this raising the child, but again, in this very business arrangement. And, and that he, it tells us so much about her. Yes. That this isn't like a book where she's trying to like secretly do it or trick exactly. him into it or whatever. Like she's like, no, this is, this makes sense. This is perfectly sensible. And it kind of is when you take the like emotional component out of it. Which it's is also that if a man pr- pr- yeah. would offer that, that's, you know, this, it, it's less shocking yeah. when a w- woman, and at one point he's a, is a Spanish prince. At one point he, he does kind of lean into it. Like, you know, there have been royal marriages for ma- money for a millennia that this is not, you know, unusual. But again, his his own moral sense is like, I've got to get to know, at least get to know her. Neither of them have any desire to fall in love, but I at least have to push for some level of engagement beyond the engagement. <laughs> so it's it's that push-pull of it was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And what is, there are subsequent books in the series, right? Yes, there's three books. Um, the, the whole series is called Filthy Rich. So the premise that it, it is based on the royal family. So the prince, then his little sister, the princess, and then there's a brother. I don't want to say too much because it's spoilery for this book. <laughs> um, but it's the three, um, it's based around that royal family, but each book is about a self-made wealthy woman. The book is centered. Each woman is self-made. Her wealth is her own. Um, there's a billionaire, a millionaire, and a CEO woman. So I for each it. three books. So that was the idea of my beautiful agent, Sarah Megabo, really focusing it on the women just in the initial inception. And then, you know, the idea that this is not, um, she's not doing something in secret. She's not forcing anything. Sarah really focused, helped me focus on consent is sexy Mm. and still building all of that tension and all of that emotional push pull while consent is sexy. And that was something, you know, in the development, uh, the, the revision of the book that was really, really, really focused on is that, you know, that consent is sexy and how do you do that? Um, because I'm creating this billionaire woman. I really wanted her center her, didn't want her to make a woman, with all the aspects of being a billionaire man. Right. What would that look like? What was a woman who is centered, who holds her own space with this money, with this power? And again, with this moral sense, I've earned this. She's right. not an heiress. She's not, you know, um, passive with this money. This is money she's earned and built, doing things in the world she wants to do. How does she, that kind of woman occupy the space? How does she make this arrangement? She ultimately, she saves him at the end of the day. And yet I needed a prince who could meet her yeah you know meet her fairly and um and and what does he bring in the table while he still needs her it was a being a longtime romance fan and a longtime writer but having all of that um information all those books and all of those premises distilled and then figuring out how would a woman do it yeah it was a phenomenal exercise. It was really I'm fun. Super excited for it. It's like one of the books I'm most excited about this year. Thank so, you. Um, Thank yeah. you. I'm sure I will be following up on a, what we're reading once I've gotten to read it. I but, hope you enjoy it. Um, so the your publishing journey, I think you said, has been like ten years. Twenty. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you've been coming to RWA for like 10 years. I joined, my first RWA was in 2000 in DC. I just moved to DC from the Midwest. First RWA was 2000 in DC. And they, there's a wonderful writer named Hope Tar who's in charge, charge of Lady Jane Salon and developed that. But she was the first published author I met. She said, come be with us. These are your tribes. She introduced me to the Washington Romance Writers, the WRWDC. And that became my tribe. Um, I joined WRW right away. And so they would have a retreat. I would go to retreat. And then I've been to about 10 RWA conferences. So I was writing. I was meeting industry and, you know, the editors, the agents. WRW retreat allows for a lot of intimacy with getting to know 
um, those people. So we had Eloisa James come. We had at the retreat, Eloisa James came. Lisa Kleypas would come. Nora Roberts was highly involved and would come. Um, Cressley Cole came. We've just this amazing intimacy with these writers. So going to workshops, getting to know editors and agents, getting to know other authors. But I was raising kids. So my writing was on and off. And um, it was a different time, too. I mean, I really started nine years before Kindle. Yeah. So the Publishing expectation changed in the time that you were trying to become an author. It, it massively, you know, yeah, a, a media changed all of it. I was a newspaper journalist. Yeah. <laughs> so Man. I've been through a lot of changes and, you know, I'm, I'm apparently very dedicated to the printed word while the printed word keeps wanting to go away. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so um, I was more focused on the writing than the publishing a, because it used to just go slower, but also because I was raising kids and couldn't put the kind of um, emotional, you know, emotional and mental energy I needed to put into it. And so as I got older, I, I did take a break from writing. But once I was able, once I got back into it, I was, I was able to focus and um, publishing with Karina Press, Lush Money's with Karina Press. And I remember the first email I got from my editor, Carrie Buckley, was talking about the team sitting down and marketing and promotion and all of these people sitting around talking about my book that I wrote at my desk, generally unwashed, you know, somehow <laughs> at my desk, unwashed at my computer, you know, these I type and, you know, it turns into words on the screen I, I knit knitted something. It's like I sent my knitted blanket to New York and there's a team of people looking at my knitted blanket and talking about how they're going to turn it into a product. I could not have managed that with grade schooler, me. Yeah. I, other people can. Yeah. But I could not have managed that level of pressure and needing, I need to make these people some money. I want to make some money. I want to make them some money. I am ready for that journey now. I could not have managed that while I was doing a million things. A lot of women can't. I know you're doing it and want to do it. We'll and I think see. there's a different expectation now. Yeah. But anyway, I took But I, I think it's time. really important. And there are a few specific members of the coven, and they know who they are if they're listening right now, who I feel like need to hear that. That yeah. like the journey can be long and there can be other things going on, but you can come back to it and you landed a super agent, super and agent and got your super editor, your publishing deal. And you know, now you can focus and it's, it's okay. It can, it can take longer and you know, it's okay for those stories to percolate. And mm -hmm. the more you're reading and the more you are dabbling and you know, you get 200 words down, that's 200 words you didn't have before. And yep. maybe they'll never be used in a story, but you're flexing that muscle. Exactly. I think that's really important to hear. And I know, I mean, my gap wasn't as long, but there've been a couple years between my last book, yep. especially you know, the date of publication, as you know, is very different from when you've actually turned that manuscript. In. Yeah. So my gap is longer than it even looks. And but in that time, I mean, I think for me, because I was writing with Penthouse, there was like every month I had this column that had to get turned in. Yeah. And sometimes that was the only thousand words I wrote that whole month. Yep. But I got a thousand words down mm -hmm. on the page and it might take me the entire month to get a thousand words down but it was a thousand words one per month that I was turning out and I that made me feel like I was still a writer 100 percent. even no matter work. the chaos of it I got a thousand words down a month and I a lot of people try to put out the like thousand words a day yep and I think that's just unrealistic at certain phases of your life especially as a woman and whether that's because you're a professional woman and yep. you're a lawyer all day and you know or you've got babies or you you're just fucking tired yep. because it's 2019 and it's coming at you from all angles. Yeah. Like you don't have to get a thousand words down a day if you can get anything down Yep, just to feel like you're flexing the muscle. Yeah. I think that helps. But also if you just need to step away, maybe you do. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to know when you are making excuses and like just avoiding it because yep. it's scary and hard and when you genuinely need that distance from it mm -hmm. like I don't know what the right answer is to that no like, and we as women take on so much guilt yeah we take on so much guilt and shame that so many times you only see stepping away healthy in the rear view mirror in the midst of it right like all these shoulds I should be yeah. I should do I should 
and sometimes you only see it in the rearview mirror. I, that was actually a good call to step away. Yeah. We don't know. The whole idea of like a thousand words to penthouse, you think you're writing immediacy, you're writing in genre, you're writing um, with an impact, which is so important in when you're writing romance. Like yeah. how great a thousand words a month writing to again writing with impact writing with immediacy which is what necessary in a thousand word column for penthouse yeah that's what you have to do in romance you want to write with impact you want to yeah. write with immediacy i had stepped away for four years was writing i uh, was doing social media content for with took my journalism degree started doing social media content for clients i was the slowest writer if i got i would have all day and if i got 250 words that would be great i mean yeah. all day school day right if I got 250 words down that was super hated writing got to a point of hating hating the process so much stepped away started this little freelance business doing social media content that practice of tweeting and facebooking and blogging for these clients when I got back to writing after that four-year gap I just started writing a fan fiction but it those words poured out and not only put my dialogue had gotten better, my pacing had gotten better because I was still reading the whole time. But it was also because what that the practice of writing every day for this little content for these clients and that immediacy, you know, specific with social media, so helped my fiction writing. It made it all so much it flow, and that all turned fan fiction. Then I did an original story, and then I did. There was flow finally yeah. from doing other work. Obviously, everyone's journey is going to be different. But the, when I this when I finished that book, when I finished, it was originally called The Billionaire's Prince. Now, Lush Money. When I finished Lush Money, I knew this is the book. If as a debut author, because mm. the book has to stand out. Right. I'm not going to have as much as I would love to tell my agent and editor. I'm going to have a million standout ideas. It's just not going to happen. I knew this was the book. And I had that 20-year view to be like this. Mm. I knew it was the book. I, And as everything has happened, it's happened relatively quickly. It was, I'm ready. I didn't feel the intimidation that 10 years ago when I looked at it happening to my friends, it just raised panic in me. That idea of being beholden to all of these other people needing things from you. Like I had two kids who needed stuff from me and that was plenty (laughs) but it is interesting you recognize something about the business aspect of publishing really clearly and I think that does come from your experience that like getting that advance is like there's expectation they expect to earn that money back yeah like they are a business this is not they're not giving you that money because they feel like they owe you something for that book yeah it's given with the expectation that you're going to and not that many authors actually earn out their advances yeah so like if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But like, yeah, there is, they are a business. Yeah. There, there is an expectation level to that, that like you're now going to produce for them. And I think that what's been beneficial for me is having worked in a newsroom because in a new, and this was, you know, when it was a, a long newsroom. time ago, when yeah. it was a newsroom. Not just freelancers sitting in their PJs. Exactly. But I was in a room. I, yeah. So yeah, let's set the tone first here of how old I am, but was sitting in a room you know, and I saw my editor, I could see the printing, not see, but you know, I could go visit the printing press. I visited the printing room. I could see the photographer. I could see the copy editing desk. I saw the team necessary for my one article when you're an author. I mean, I think it would be beneficial to visit your office, the offices of publishing house to see the team, to see the real estate that all of that, it is a business. They can drop you, you can drop them. But just that uh, realistic understanding that there's a bunch of people working together trying to make some money and um, it's business. It's a business. And so it's helped me to not just think about that perspective of being in a newsroom, seeing that team of people. That's exactly what I'm still working in um, when I'm sitting alone at my desk in my yoga pants. So I don't know. I just, I I, uh, met with my editor recently and I just said that like, I want to make you some money. I want to make some money. And she was like, that'd be great. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> Somebody's got to figure out how to do it. Right? Yeah. Let's make some money, you know, and I want every, I want the, the muse and I want the, 
gift and the artistry and stuff but gosh let's make some money but, too yeah it is i i think it's okay to own that yeah and like it's an artistic product and it is authentic and you know it comes from a place of love yep. but it is also a product yeah and i i think as women again we're like discouraged from really embracing that and like talking about that's some a goal of yeah. doing it it's like we're just supposed to offer this up to the world and <laughs> be like you know please I don't know I don't even know what we're allowed to accept for it because we're yeah. certainly not allowed to accept like accolades and oh you know, that's it's that rapino photo oh. after with her that's wide open and her cons- insistence on this yes yes I deserve this praise we deserve this praise I have been repeatedly going back to that. I, I'm not Rapino, so no, we all I have to manage like it a different all way. Need but that up that picture somewhere in our workspace, yes, to just as a like, I think she had way more of an impact than a lot of us even realized. Yeah, that we all looked at that and went like, oh we can do that that's okay and we should and people are criticizing it and she doesn't give a fuck no uh-uh. no and not like, at all that is powerful yeah yeah i mean the how the, the millions of hours she spent doing what she did the millions of uh, uh, practicing playing soccer and getting to that level of excellence the millions of hours we all spend not just writing the one book but all of the work and the effort getting to that place of That's writing 20 that years first for you. book. Yeah. 20 years and reading my whole life and looking at these books with love and analysis, all of that. Um, we should be very proud of that work. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, that, that whole attitude of, so I wrote a thing, which I do constantly because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, self-promo um, is really hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. It's a brand new world. There's all of those of this, what I've been, I just did social media for clients and it's still hard. What's hard about it is the heart that is present in that book, which in anyone's book, but the debut author and that debut book coming out, it's not just please like the book. It's please buy this book so we can make some money so I can get another contract so yep. that the thing I wanted, wanted to do my entire life I can do yeah. is what that like every tweet I put out is saying. Yeah. And it's, it's a <laughs> so lot of pressure. Of course and... it's a lot. Like there's yeah. that heart, like, please let me have a career. Yeah. The buying the book is not just about the money that buying that book is investment in me, investment in me as an author and investment. Let me do the thing that I've wanted to do since I was five years old. At and because I think you're going <laughs> to love it, you know, like I have as a like romance reader yeah. and fan and, you know, someone who's genuinely engaged in this world. It's also like engaged with me because I have put out a product that I think, you know, will speak to you, speak so. to you and love those characters like that. That was the hardest part when books didn't sell. And yeah, so for my whole thing about I just wrote I did I did submit. I just didn't submit a lot. I did submit. I met my agent through a submission. We, we met at a retreat, but I did submit to her nine years before and then submitted again. But oh, nine wow. years ago, she was like, I love meeting you. Her response was, I love meeting you. This isn't ready. The dialogue is too forced. You're packing the dialogue with way too much information. And she was 100% right. I wasn't ready. Um, and then I am ready. She said she, she, picked up this next book and loved it so that I'm was like a nine-year difference fan of yours now because I just admire so much that like you can take that and nine years later turn it into something yeah. and you know not get just completely down about the fact that you'd gotten the rejection and just focus on like I need to grow I need to learn and do more and improve my craft and you know that has paid off for you and that's wonderful I'm just thrilled by that (laughs) you know and I mean just to kind of I guess level set it though I like I said I started nine years before Kendall the expectation I grew up within the ex grew up within writing within the expectation of it's going to take time yeah if you're starting now the expectation is different so while I would love to say it's just this natural grace on my part (laughs) the expectations you know my first half were the expectations being entirely different Mm. that it is going to take time that I wanted a traditional publishing career and that takes time so 
there is an, you know, yeah, again, I'd love to take full credit for that. I'd love to repino this. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Repino uh, it, damn it. <laughs> repino this. But there is, but it's, it, it's kind of like when people um, are like huge self, you know, self-publishing indie stars. And I love it when they level set and they say, well, and I started X number of years ago when it was easier versus someone starting now. So I just, I do want to level set that right now that, you know, there was an expectation of waiting when I started that but there isn't now. But, but I no, would love no. to see some of like the aspiring authors who are listening. Like I think Wattpad is about to do some more interesting they things. They are. I've heard too. I think the industry is shifting and I don't think it's completely clear how it's going to shift. But I I think it would be interesting for people who like don't have that time or, you know, for whatever reason, just aren't in a place where they can sit and get a book out Yeah, to like do that, commit to themselves like once a month, I'm going to put something on Wattpad. That's a super and idea. Like, just start. I think that instant feedback that sites like Wattpad give you can be really helpful. And you don't want to get addicted to that because you don't get that feedback when you're writing a book. Yeah. Like you've just got to sit and power through it. But I think when you're first starting out, just like hearing that affirmation that like I got words down and they're not terrible and yeah. people are want more. And I think that can be really useful. So I would love to see someone sort of explore that more. And I think because Wattpad is starting to publish like books yeah, um, that it can be useful. Like you're sort of sitting building an audience and like that can, you can become one of the Wattpad stars. Yeah. And, you know, it's a crowded place, but I, I do think that might be, I, I don't know. I'd like to see people explore that more. I think that's a phenomenal suggestion. I think that's a phenomenal suggestion because you do get the feedback and your characters get to live and breathe in the world, mm -hmm. which can be so difficult when you're an aspiring author. Just that idea that they're just alone or with your beta reader, that they get to live and breathe is, is I think that's a phenomenal suggestion. I have no idea how many authors started with fan fiction yep. until we started doing this podcast. And even like in so many interviews, people have talked about it, but even in some of them, like we didn't talk about it when we were recording, but it came out in conversation later. Yeah. Like I would say a majority of the authors who didn't start forever ago, like have started within the era of yeah. fan fiction, have done fan fiction at some point. And I, I think it, it's like this safety net that like, it doesn't necessarily have to be your characters or your world. Yeah. And it just lets you play with story and dialogue and like that creativity yeah. without being like, I have to have the story and this idea and like it, and it, they tend to be these supportive writing spaces. Where yeah. Like you get feedback and you, you do get, get likes and like, I, I think there's something there to that, that like it, it's a safety. What kind of fan fiction were you writing? I wrote, I, and I've only written a couple. I wrote an arrow story and then I wrote, um, a leverage story. And then I wrote, I've written a few supernatural stories okay. and it, it, and I'd been, it, I it kind of hit middle of my career, but there was, there was a freedom in writing it. There was the connection for me, the reason I did it, I took one of my own story ideas, connected it to Arrow and Stephen Amell. Arrow was in its first or second season just because he's so wildly hot. <laughs> and, but it, but for me, it was strate strategic that I wanted to connect with readers and figured, mm. let's do fan fiction, let's do a hashtag Arrow with a brand new show just as a way to connect with readers. Um, so it was very strategic. I didn't inherently, you know, need to do an arrow fan fiction but I, I the last two and a half years have been stressful in our family and i've stumbled into supernatural fan fiction and started reading it and it has been the craziest um kind of mental health calming thing for me it's an escapism that very few things were it, it you know like it calmed me down allowed me to sleep and I'd never been a huge, I read some Buffy fan fiction, but never read a ton of it. But it is, it is what we were just saying. You can do, you know, character development. You can work on these emotional arcs. There's a, this exploration and freedom in fan fiction that it is some of the most powerful writing I've ever read hmm. as a life. And I keep trying to figure out a way to like bottle what fan fiction is doing because technology it's constantly changing our storytelling and the mediums and how we're doing it. Fan fiction's got something. It's got this passion. There's a yearning. The fans are so passionate. 
and maybe it just is going to be what it is but there's very something specific about the storytelling that i've found it to be some of the most powerful storytelling i've ever read which is saying a lot like yeah. saying a fuck ton and I, I don't know what it is and i'm trying to figure out a way to like i don't know yeah like i said i, I think it's got to be plugged into that like authenticity and the freedom and just like that story wants to pour out of you. Like yeah. you're watching this other thing and engaging with these characters, but there's like this need that like, there's a story there that's not being told. And because it's not your world, yeah. like you can just pour it out. I don't know. It's and what, yeah. What is that pouring out? I, we, I had dinner with a, with a, a few authors the other night and one of them said, it, who's a debut author and it's got, you know, multi-book contracts, and she said, I've never written anything as great as those fan fiction. Apparently wow. she went into, she said, face first in the Twilight Wolf Pack or something. <laughs> but she said, and th those are powerful words yeah. to say that, you know, as a, as a debut, uh, you know, as an author with a traditional publishing contract. So, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, there is wine in Lush Money. Yes. It's like a thing. We're trying to save the prince's vineyard. Yes. And your family has a vineyard. Yeah. Yes. I, that's such an interesting connection that I <laughs> would hate myself if we didn't talk about it. Yeah. No, it will. Trust me. It's a really interesting connection because I grew up in the Midwest. We did not grow up in wine, you know, kind of lower middle class family. My dad, my dad's Mexican-American, second generation American. I'm third generation. My mom's white. And um, so, you know, just a little middle class family. Uh, my parents divorced early on. And but my mom's family was all from Northern California. So would, you know, we would be there a lot. I lived in San Francisco for a little bit. So my mom um, finally settled in San Francisco, married my phenomenal stepfather. And in 2009, they called on the they say my they'd been making wine like in their garage outside of San Francisco. My mom said, um, so we're going to buy a vineyard. And I was like, you know what? Like, honestly, come on, guys, like get over. This the sounds like the kind of thing <laughs> my mom says after a few glasses of wine. <laughs> like the middle age crisis. Get over it. You guys, it's crazy. And they found this incredible property in the Russian River Valley outside of um, um totally blanking on the town Santa Rosa outside of Santa Rosa so it's in Sonoma County it's in the Sonoma area Russian River Valley is its own uh, AVA it's its own grape growing area so anyway they um, found this beautiful piece of land it had never been a vineyard it had been an orchard um, and they established a Pinot Noir vineyard there Russian River Valley Pinot Noir is one of the top I'm gonna say the top Pinot Noir mm -hmm. in the world it's it's really beautiful people or argue that Oregon is better, Washington. I will argue that it's Russian <laughs> River Valley Pinot, but um, it was this stellar place with this stellar land. They grew these amazing grapes and immediately got this beautiful contract. So none of this, long story to say, none of this was an expected turn in my life. Yeah. And then they asked me to get involved because they wanted to do some social media. And so I had to learn. That must have been awful. You poor thing. It was hard. It was hard. I was resistant though. I was like, I don't under it's so weird. Like it wasn't in my background. It wasn't in my understanding. What I found though, I had to learn grape growing. I had to learn this culture. And I was in my mid thirties, mid late thirties. Suddenly I'm reading about wine and wine growing and it's sticking. Like there's a lot of information I get that doesn't stick. Yeah. I, this did. I was fascinated about it. So I got heavily involved and my stepfather really loved having kind of uh, my mom they are equal uh co-owners and she's involved but having me along was fun for him as well so you know we talk about our vineyard you know what the irrigation plan is and what what we're doing it's a funny bizarre thing so I was there in 2015 over Christmas and um I had seen a book on Wattpad that I thought said the billionaire's prince and I thought huh, that must be what is that that must be a male male and I instantly realized there's that old joke it's a riddle about a doctor and the doctor is the kid's mom but the whole point of the riddle is that you assume the doctor is a man mm. I had done that as a lifelong feminist to myself that the billionaire's prince the billionaire must be a man. So I did this mental slap slap. I, it was actually called the billionaire's price. It was called the billionaire's price. It wasn't the billionaire's prince. 
but I instantly thought, that's the book I have to write. I have to write The Billionaire's Prince where the billionaire is a woman. And I had that idea at Christmas at their house. So I wrote up a little tiny synopsis and I said, you know, self-made billionaire businesswoman and a Spanish prince who, and I literally, I'm sitting outside, I look up and I'm like, he's a viticulturist, he grows wine. <laughs> and that was it. It went from there. It, it was, it was crazy. It did, it, it, and just it kept this is the idea this is the idea this I mean, not is to it. get totally woo woo but i'm about to get totally woo woo <laughs> i do believe in these like bigger things of like i mean it, the the what i'm about to quote comes from the alchemist and it's uh when you're pursuing your personal legend the universe conspires in your favor yeah and it's like these pieces That's shift beautiful. into place yeah and like when and like doors open when you're going down the right path and it doesn't necessarily happen immediately but like that they had this random dream and they pursued it. Yeah. And that's their personal legend. And like that contract happened for them and like doors opened. And that also happened, you know, you got that interest and you'd had all these other story ideas, but yep. this was the idea. This was that it. broke your career. And like that those kind of aligned yeah. at the same time and you were ready and they were ready. And that's just really beautiful and powerful <laughs> to me. Like it, I 100 believe 100 percent believe in the woo woo. So, yes, give it because I'm I'm here for it. I completely believe in it. Yeah, that's so cool that like them doing something really unexpected and you doing something that to us we're like yeah of course you're gonna write a romance novel but to the rest <laughs> of the world it's that's their wine growing like you're gonna do what yeah like that's absurd why would you write a romance novel um that those like two kind of unexpected dreams aligned and yeah are, are turning into something cool so you can now like you can make wine because i got some grapes in my backyard <laughs> I can't. My stepfather can. Okay. We have a little winery because we sell all of our grapes. Yeah. And he actually planted some Chardonnay to be able to start making our own because he that's how we started is winemaking. So we built a little winery on the just for family and friends that we can give it to on the property. And so I've helped him through that process. But it's there's so much like chemistry and there oh it's gosh, not yeah. just stomping the grapes. So he can. I'll introduce you to my stepdad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone told us that you can make wine in an Instapot yeah. or an Instant Pot. I remember hearing that. Yeah, had I'm this now like the the grapes are like sitting in the backyard. They're like I'm eating them, so they've <laughs> got to be ripe. <laughs> I'm like going out and eating them off there, and I'm like, oh, I could do it. You but, could totally do it. But also, my husband's gonna come home, and the kids are just gonna be like tearing the house apart. I'm gonna be like, look, I made wine. Look <laughs> what I did. It tastes like shit, but I did it. <laughs> Drink it. <laughs> It's delicious. I did this for you. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be like, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, awesome. yeah. Okay. We are going to do rapid fire, which we were joking that we should both know them by now. But yeah, somehow. I, I've practiced these answers, but I definitely, I know I still don't have them down. Yeah. You, you think, you know, and then you're like, but wait. I've, I've overthought this now. Okay. What is the strangest or most interesting object in your workspace? So I have this, I was in seventh, sixth, seventh grade walking home and I found this huge, as big as my hand shard of, it's like, a, it's a clear, um, green, uh, see-through green shard of glass but but a rock it's it's this rock and you can it's prismy and you can turn it it looks like um somebody was creating like huge boulders for like old soda pop bottles like that green color of old soda pop bottles and like a shard fell off a truck it's the weirdest thing but you look at it and it's got all these different prisms and you can look through it and see life see things differently and so I've always had it. Again, it's heavy. It's probably, you know, a pound and it's as big as my hand. But I've always kept it with this idea that, and this is, I don't know, this idea no, you're that getting you turn it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you turn it and can look through it. And every way you turn it is a different, different way of looking at a view. It's a different way of looking at life. And so kind of as a lifelong storyteller, it was always this idea that you just turn you know one degree one way and you're going to see life a different way and it's trying to have all those different views i love that 
very cool. I, that's a totally practice and random, answer. Can you tell? Yeah. No. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck with the questions. Just to <laughs> <Good>. like, <laughs> um, is there anything you irrationally hate? Um, I hate it when people do a U-turn in the middle of the street. I want to kill them. In mm. D.C., people just decide that they're going to do whatever they want in the road as they're driving, and it makes me want to kill them. Um, I'm a Virgo, so I'm like, follow the rules. Me there too. are rules, and they should be followed. And I hate uh, middle of the street U-turns because right. they're not my little, my young one who is now 18, but... Um, we thought he was like a crazy little baby and he started pre-kindergarten, pre pre-K. And I had asked the pre-K, like, I'm not sure if he's ready. He's kind of over, all over the place. And I had a conference with her and she was like, this little kid, she was like, he just listens to all the rules. So I asked him about that later. And I was like, you know, how are you doing? And he said, I like it. My friend Jeremy doesn't, though, because Jeremy never follows the rules. So in our Aww. family, it's follow the rules. And uh, he is definitely not a rule follower now, but I certainly am. So <laughs> <laughs> it imprinted initially and then his personality came through. He's like, I'm done with that, mom. <laughs> yeah. I have outgrown your rules. Um, who is the best villain ever? Yeah, it's boring. It's Loki. I mean, I just, I think... Like, I, Marvel Loki or Marvel like, Loki, Tom okay, Hiddleston Loki. Like, okay, yes. Tom Hiddleston Loki. Like you know, I having said that, I am not a villain fan. I'm a I like good You're boys. The rule follower. I'm like boring. I like I love. You like a Gryffindor. Superman was my favorite. Huh. My favorite Buffy hero, and I know I'm good. Don't at me. It was Riley. I like good like Iowa boys. I'm sorry, and so there isn't a villain isn't that being said tom edelston with that smile yeah that does it for me are real good he did things with that part like it it could have just been a sort of throwaway villain 100 i feel like he did more with it i don't know maybe that's in the comics but it yeah isn't he it's a tv show now like it's i think he getting his own tv show i have no idea no i i have no yeah i don't know but yeah, but it's not my jam. Villains, I have to say, I like. Although voice. that question does not say like you have to like them. They could be like the baddest villain. Who's ever. the worst villain ever? I mean, that's. A, I don't know. I and there's also like where I am right now in the world. Like I just need everything to be soft. That's true. We don't want to talk easy. about that because there are a lot of villains there's out like, there. But not that's fun the thing. Villains. My husband and I will. Are one of our contentions is like he wants to watch shows that are challenging. I want to watch shows that are cotton candy. Like. Because there's enough real world horribleness yeah. that I can't manage it in my entertainment. In my entertainment, so I want That's love, our I want sex, I want, yeah. you know, I don't need I want my, my fucking happy ending. Because it's there's so many non-happy endings. There's yeah. miserable things happening in the world that we are confronting on a personal basis every day. So when I and sit down. I wonder down, what that is. Like my husband loves watching like uh, like apocalyptic stuff. Like the world is coming to an end, oh God. but it's like legit coming to an end. Like <laughs> the world fucking ends at the end of the movie. And That's you're right. like, I do, what am I supposed to get out of this? Like, is it cathartic for them? Do they like, that's a good is it cathartic oh that's really like are they getting catharsis from it where we need like reassurance they're like getting some kind of release from like seeing that and living it and accepting it and then like going on with their lives for me I know I ingest I mean I can cry at a 30 second commercial so I ingest that emotion I think in a way my husband doesn't yeah. either he can look at plot and he can look at script and dialogue where I'm like but they just died yeah and that's the emotion I'm having yeah. so I think it's also how we process what we're watching what he is yeah. differently than I do it doesn't invest it in the same way yeah yeah I get upset I'm still fucking upset about the Viking love story on <laughs> that stupid show we're watching and he dies and what my husband was like let's sit down and watch Chernobyl yeah no exactly I'm gonna be in the opposite side of the house yeah. I don't want to know one I don't want to hear one word yeah no. I, and when he wants to watch this I'm like you can go watch it by yourself it's okay <laughs> or else what they built iPad and headphones for yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I'll like sit and read next to you like if you want to hang out and in ingest media yeah. that's fine but like please keep your sad sad stuff to yourself <laughs> um what oh, we replaced this question with something and I don't remember what it was and I don't have Sarah here to support me so <laughs> um we'll just go with what scares you but like in minutia way 
Um, oh, so at a conference hotel, we were in the uh, big, big elevators, glass elevators, and it's high. And my roommate at the time said there had been power outages in the city and there were power outages apparently in the hotel at some point. And my roommate, as we're about to check in, says, um, let's make sure to get a lower room. And, I, and she, then she was like, there's been power outages. And I literally broke into a cold sweat at the idea of being on one of these glass elevators with the power out. Like I was, ha I started like, feeling the sense of that in a way that I generally don't, I'm generally pretty calm and that the, some heights, but then heights on an elevator that there's like claustrophobia. So like irrational was like how I literally you're not in the control. gut fear. And yeah. I said, I would just face the door and like hold onto it. But like sudden drops too. I used to have nightmares about sudden drops. So that would be it. Like glass heights, looking down sudden drop yeah irrational no fucking terrifying fair totally fair <laughs> um what is the last book that kept you up reading again i have been this this fan fiction thing i've mm. been doing this fan fiction thing real real hard and so um this supernatural fan fiction is um and it's like a specific one that you're following no or just like, like the whole genre that. of them yeah those stories can keep me up late and late and it, it again when I'm writing it's really hard to read you know it's hard to read other people's work um and and kind of keep that same that? The, was Sarah McLean's output with her input mm -hmm. is shocking to me. And I, I, I get the impression Katie it's her Roberts safe place. doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Naima Simone is doing the same thing. Like I know so many authors who are have like constantly reading and they're also churning books out. Yep. Maybe it's like that they've put enough books out. That could be that, it. Yes. Like it gets easier and like they're more their voice has become more internalized. Yeah. Because I find myself picking up other people's voices if I'm not careful. Yeah. Or like if I'm reading in a different tense than I'm writing, I subconsciously start trying to like frame my story that way. Yeah. And like it seeps in and I just like can't hold space for my story and their story. Yeah. Yeah. It, it I've definitely, it, 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 the second things start getting stressful in one of the stories, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not able to fall into them the way I did when I, wasn't this close to the path I went to a, a, a um writing panel uh with Mia Sosa and a couple of other writers I can't but two of the writers mentioned that they were reading novellas and that made me feel so much better because I mm. feel bad when I'm not reading a lot that that said um I have Sierra Simone's The Priest in the Center on Audible that I will just any time of the day or night, I'll just put them on. And especially if I'm not sleeping, that also like that as much as, you know, I'm trying to, I, I'm not reading a lot right now because I need to have a clear brain for book two and three. She has set such a tone of excellence mm. in her writing that it's like listening to her writing is is aspirational for and me. And that's a good point. I do find that like if I'm getting stuck yeah. and I return to one of those like, favorites where I know their writing is going to remind me why I want to write. Yeah. Like they make you want to be a better writer. Kennedy yeah. Ryan does that to me too. There's yeah. a lot of writing. I mean, Sarah McLean does it. I just told her that yesterday. Like, <laughs> you know, I was reading something of hers and I was like, it's one of those books that makes you go back to your manuscript and want to like step it up yep. and it pushes you to do better. So that's a good call. Like maybe going rereading is easier. The new than, reading in, like, in the midst of the, of the yeah. creative process, especially yeah. In that beginning push I'm writing, three books in a year and a half so yeah that's a lot when you're starting out yeah um if i was going to use an object to summon you with a spell what would it be french fries excellent good Just answer so easy oh, yes <laughs> what is a stupid piece of advice writing advice or otherwise that you've gotten over the years that you just like can't forget don't use your don't use your hero or heroine's names huh. that in like in dialogue don't use it in tags don't use it it was a weird thing like I feel like it's not being said as much but I remember it being said early on a lot and um 
but when you're actually writing the whole tagging and who especially if you if you have more than just one woman and one man in the room tagging who it is it was just the weirdest piece of information that kind of settled in and and it doesn't make any sense if you have more than just a man and a woman in the room and actually so I had gotten somehow in the habit of saying like the man, the woman. And my editor was like, absolutely not. That's lazy. We're not using that. So you just use their names. But it was a dumb piece of writing advice yeah. that was, again, I, I'm not sure how common that is now. But well, and it, it was way before a lot of first person too. Mm. So that might have kind of how that man that has managed people not giving that dumb advice anymore. In a game of fuck, Mary, burn down the patriarchy. Yes. I feel like we need to add Rapino to this. I do like, too. She'll burn down the motherfucking patriarchy. Oh my god! But <laughs> if you were gonna fuck her, like that would be fun too. I think yeah. if that's who you chose, yeah, like all of them. I would do yeah. all of them with yeah. her. But no, yeah. go ahead. Um, okay, <laughs> we won't put her in yet because I can't just like throw shit. In no, here. that's but, fine. Um, we've got Beyonce, Lucy Liu, and Tessa Thompson. Tessa. Oh God. Okay. I so I can't. Like I would aspire to have sex with Beyonce, but it would just she would just be disappointed in me, and I wouldn't. I'd be fumbly and way too nervous. So I think I would burn down the patriarchy with her. I would definitely marry Lucy Liu. Lucy and we could get old together. We would, we would have the best time, and then. I would have sex with Tessa Thompson. She's so much younger than me that I feel bad saying that a little bit. But she's not like 17. No, she's you know, not. I don't know how old she is, but she's in her 20s, right? I know. She could probably be my daughter, though, still. So I feel a little. So I would like, we cuddle. I'd cuddle with Tessa Thompson. <laughs> Aggressive cuddling. <laughs> uh, what is a movie that you would watch every day? Um, the Truth About Cats and Dogs. Oh, I I think I saw that when it first came out. Yeah. I need no, to revisit that. I think it was like a, a random video that I, you know, like literally like a VCR like video that I had picked up at one time. And it was so brilliant. I Janine Garofalo's character and that she was smart, but didn't, wasn't confident about her looks and that she was loved, you know, she was loved and she, her journey into accepting herself and yeah, they kind of dolled her up, put lipstick on at the end of the movie. But, um, I love that. It was the smartest, funniest, wittiest, quickest movie. I love it hmm. so much. I need to revisit that. Yeah. Um, who is a person that you professionally look up to? Sierra Simone. With that, Fair. you know, in the new kind of new era, when I took a break from writing, I took a break from reading too, um, romance. And so definitely new era, Sierra Simone, Kennedy Ryan is astonishing too. Um, but I've been reading forever and ever. My one of my heroes was Susan Elizabeth Phillips mm. because I could read one page and I'm dying laughing and literally turn the page and it's I'm, I'm crying. Mm. You know I'm, the, the, the emotional intensity she was able to bring something. I was a huge Judith Mc am I, my Judith McNaught keeper box that you know again the emotional intimacy that they would get into. Um, Jar Award huge air award fan um teresa medeiros i've i like I, who's imprinted on me is writers from late 80s early 90s yeah. you know you're doing that thing the uh test question to get into our facebook group the coven yeah is uh name a romance author <laughs> and we just did it so that you don't get like wackos and bots and, sure you know like just to make sure you do in fact read romance or like have some awareness of romance and it, people like almost can't do it and we didn't say like who is your favorite we just said name a romance author like it's a throwaway question and it cracks me up I want to respond to every like every time someone does it because it's like I would say 90 maybe more percent cannot name one yeah it's there's like always like just one question mark and like five authors later they're like uh, I'll stop and you're like I love you please welcome you are our people and you find them during different parts in your life too yeah. so it's like somebody speaks I to bet you, you now. didn't though you're the rule follower you, you listed mine <laughs> and I love it when people list themselves like oh that's so awesome like that's a rapino move where they're like yeah I me like, oh my god I love that too I'm gonna have to remember that that's fantastic yeah um okay last question what Hogwarts house would you be in so I did the test and it said Slytherin which sounds that's hilarious crazy yeah and yet I said it out loud and both my husband and my kids were like yeah mm-hmm. mm. 
and I don't know what that is. I think it might be just the the um, kind of dedication to a viewpoint or persistence. I don't know what it is, but they didn't disagree. So you'll have to talk to them about yeah. what that's about. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. Well, thank you. All right. So the book is Lush Money. Right. And if people want to follow you online, where can they do that? So best places on my website, it's Angelina M, M for Marie, AngelinaMLopez.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Angelina M. Lowe. I'm on Instagram at Angelina M. Lowe. And um, yeah, those are the best places. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, we hope the book is a huge success. Thank and you. we're looking forward to the, the sequels. 